This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We welcome our online listeners, those who are listening online. You can get these slides by going back to the source that you got the audio and click on the PDF and it will actually open up uh, the slideshow so you can follow this with us. The writing of the book of Revelation insists that the universe as we know it is moral at heart and that God the Father will use whatever force necessary to punish Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, demonic beings, evil men, and their nations. So when we ask that, that glorious question, what for, Lord? Why do we have to go through all the stuff you've listed in Revelation? Why? There's only two reasons that I can find doctrinally of why God created the earth and why God created Adam. Only two. One is to have a bridal member for his son because it's Hebrew law that the firstborn male must be married. Why would God not obey his own law? He will and would. So he needed to have Adam and Eve populate the earth. Now, a lot of people, when they say, well, I'm a pro-lifer, anyone who has the knowledge of true life, seriously, and I'm saying whether it's a junior high kid or an elementary kid or whoever it is, really understands what life is, you can now talk to someone who uses birth control, for example. And it's a very short walk in the park to connect that, that birth control to abortion. Abortion is violent. It's so out there. It's so offensive. Whereas we have been conditioned in the Western civilization to use other methods of killing children and call it population control. That's how we think. That is diluted thinking where you can't connect abortion to birth control. Look, it's put your pencil on the dot and connect it to that dot. Satan somehow in his uniqueness of craftiness has deluded us even by God's choice. Believe me, when God makes a choice to let Satan have Job or me or you or anyone else. It's going to happen. Do you realize that Satan is more obedient than you are? If God tells him to do something, he does it. And there's scriptural proof of it. God is so overpowering in his request that if, if God in physical form stood in this room and asked us to do something, we would be so overpowered by the presence of the command that we wouldn't even think about hesitating if we're saved. Because the spirit in me 
and God would be so connected and the thought of not listening would not even exist between the two of them. I would fall to my face and ask for how, what, what's the details? The storyline in this book is based upon the authority of our groom, Christ, past, present, and future. It warns and prepares the bride for the importance of suffering for righteousness' sake. It both defines the persecution of today's church and challenges all future bridal members with the trials they are about to face. Now, if I could define America as um, one word and directly associate it with this book, what word do you think I'm going to pick? Let me give you a, a clue. America is considered the leading country in the entire world for the emergent church. There are s certain countries that refer to America as the emergent church. Now what word am I hunting for? Laodicean. There's seven churches. And I believe each one of these churches can be directly associated with a nation. One of them is strong in Catholicism. One of the seven churches, and I've in, in the research I did on each of these churches, there is a deacon called Deacon Nathaniel who was trained uh, and educated at the School of Alexander. He entered into one of the church and introduced the idea to one of these churches, which finally intruded into six of the seven churches, the idea that Christians need a priest, a father figure, that they confess to the priest and the priest goes to the Heavenly Father. See how early that stuff was introduced? There was no organized Catholic Church when Deacon Nathan did that. That's mind-bending to me. That's good history. That's tangible history. And, and my point is, is that they're not a religion. The Catholic Church is a nation. They are a certified, approved nation by the UN. And that hill that they're on, one of the seven hills of Rome that that Vatican sits on, is in prophecy. So is Laodicea. So is Pergamum, which is the first place in the entire world that started a university. And the basis of that university was medicine. The symbol of Moses' staff and the two snakes conquering the staff is the symbol for the medical world. It's carved on a rock in Pergamum. See, what we're doing even as a, in, a, in a series is we are stepping closer to the fire. And we're taking our children. Instead of the 1950s version of talking about the end times where you keep the children out of the room because we're about to talk about some very difficult things that is not for their little ears ruined our country. 
The fact that your children don't go with you and grow with you has caused this separation or what is classified in the Western civilization as a generational gap. Whenever there's a generational gap, someone's begging for a leader. They want someone to lead them. Instead of their daddy and their grandpa, they want someone to lead them. And I know plenty of false prophets that are out there that are ready for the job. Here's our chart again, which we're going to be showing every week. We're still in the salutation. We're going to immediately begin to talk about the, the uh, seven churches, which is out of Revelation 2 through 5. And I want you to understand something. God is a God of order, and his sermon notes are important to me. That's why I like to lay out his outline of his preach. Because I want to carefully, very carefully, look at the details on why is he saying this first. Because I know God is obsessed about this being first thing. What is first gets the authority. What gets the authority gets to say the command. What says the command gets to demand obedience. Whoever gets to demand obedience, now we have some serious choices. So this is very important to me. He goes right from the salutation and he casts the vision. And when you cast a vision, it's like standing on top of the hill like Moses did with Joshua. Took him up on the mountain and said, Joshua, you think this is the first time Joshua heard about the promised land? No, he's been hearing about it since he was a little lad. But Moses cast the vision. Milk and honey. But by the way, you step over that river and the fire starts. And we know that it did because the battle of Jericho was on them immediately. So here's what I'm saying to you guys. If you want to back up, back up. If you're, gonna, if you're saying, I'm going to step forward because I want to explore some knowledge of the book of Revelation, I'm telling you, don't step over the Jordan. Your first decision is, I am going to step over to embrace the knowledge of God so that God can be glorified. Other, I can reach other people who were caught in the deceptions of Jericho and the other squatting cities. It's got to be mission-based, which is where, from Moses, is where we get the original idea of missionaries. They went into this foreign land, which was actually their land, and they had to conquer these squatters who have taken these little pieces of land away from God. When we start stepping over and looking at the details of the seven churches, you're going to feel some heat. Then when we start dealing with the seven seals, I can promise you today, the enemy does not want you to understand the seven seals. 
He is so wrapped into the seven seals. You think he was wrapped into the seven churches? There's books out there written on the seven churches and they sell like hotcakes. It's not that threatening. But you start talking about the seven seals. That's why I showed you that video clip this morning. You start talking about the seven seals, you have the attention of heaven. This is Jesus Christ, our husband, picking up each seal and opening it up. And as those seals are opened up, everyone falls to their faces because it's being revealed. And who's being revealed? Jesus Christ, which is what the book of Revelation means. Then we start getting into the seven trumpets. Well, hey, you can look at the list right here. First one is hell, fire, and blood. Burning mountain. I mean, this, this is heavy stuff. This is revealing what God has intended for Satan, for the beast, the false prophet, the demons, and evil men. He doesn't want to hear that talked about. He wants you to think he is this glorious, white-haired, blue-eyed uh, Christ that's going to rule the world. He doesn't want you to know in these details. So why did Jesus Christ give this to us through John? Because of that very reason. Right, Allie? And then, when we get to Revelation 12, and we start talking about the woman Israel, these are the seven characters. The, the woman Israel, the dragon and Satan, the male child, Christ, Michael the archangel, remnant Israel, the antichrist, and the false prophet. Those are the seven characters of the book of Revelation. So Gracie has the redhead. Resh is primarily interpreted as uh, a person, the head, the highest. But the literal translation from the Hebrew is a red head. And as you know, in prophecy, the red heifer is huge. And so uh, from the first red head to the last red heifer, uh, it, there's a lot of prophetic elements in that. But most just say it's, it's the head guy. So sheen is, comes from a symbol, if you look on the screen, as a tooth, modern uh, picture, but the little wiggly lines that you see in the ancient Hebrew is your crooked teeth. So you've got the red head, who is the head, and then you have teeth, which the teeth actually means uh, devouring, and oftentimes the word destruction is used. And then Ayan is, interesting enough, I could, wherever Aaron is, can actually tie his, uh, <laughs> tie his name into uh, this uh, Hebrew word. But Ayan is the eye. It is what, it's the window to the soul. Is how it's mostly used in the Hebrew. So what you have here 
is that this head of whoever this head is, we have the head of the devouring eye. So when we look at the Hebrew dictionary, it says at the head uh, person of the devouring eye, or the A shouldn't be there. The head, the head person of the devouring eye, which is Satan. He's the head person of all these devouring eyes that are lusting. Satan has uh, become an expert at this. That's why he's called the evil one. The Greek says this. It's a primary word, worthless, deprived, injurious, bad, evil, harm, ill, noisesome, wicked. And the idea of depraved, which is out of our Greek passage that we read this morning about being deluded, it's God's choice to dilute the people so that they will rot thoroughly. That is to ruin, decay, utterly. Figuratively, it's to corrupt, destroy, or perish. This is God's choice. Do you remember when Pharaoh released God's people and they're out there a ways or close to getting backed into the Red Sea and it says and God hardened Pharaoh's heart Pharaoh is the in physical form was possessed by the devil he is the symbol of the Antichrist and it was God who hardened Pharaoh's heart what did he do? violence instantly destruction and they came after them, backed him up against the, the Red Sea, and God said to Moses, do not let their flesh touch the water. Meaning, by no effort of your own, do I want your effort to touch what I'm about to do. Well, what am I supposed to do? Take your staff and have the staff touch the water. Staff is symbolic of God's presence. He touched the water with the staff and as you know, several miles of deep water parted with dry land. I mean, there was a miracle just in the dry land. And all the people got saved. It's the, it's the perfect picture of salvation. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God Jesus Christ and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a Bible, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.